Bonjour, dear listeners, and welcome to Defense, the conversation about defense you never knew you always wanted to have. I'm Dr. Alice Valenti, and this week I traveled to Rostock, Germany, to attend the UDT show, and I sat down with John Pentreath, who advises Clarion, the organizers of the show, on a number of topics and organizational matters. So please listen in as we discuss a wide range of topics that go from how Germany is now seeing defense after the Seitenwender they announced last year, And big data, AI, how artificial intelligence is changing the way that warfare underwater and above the surface is being waged, and a whole range of other topics such as autonomous systems and climate change. Hi, John. Hi. Lovely to meet you. Nice to meet you. Thank you very much for making the time today to speak to me. So how exactly do you advise Clarion for UDT and the SEI? Yeah, well, let, yeah, well, let me explain how I sort of got into this. I was in the Royal Navy, so the British Navy, for many, many years and left the Navy um, three years ago now, okay. so in 2020, just during the beginning of COVID. And I set myself up in a portfolio career where I work for a number of different companies, one of which, and, and without any shadow of doubt, the most fun of which is Clarion. Okay. Um, and so Clarion is a um, reasonably big events company which organises all sorts of events, from car shows to boat shows to baby shows to game shows to defence trade shows. Uh, and I'm involved with the defence and security side and work um, predominantly on DSEI, so the, the big global um, multi-domain event held in London every two years, and the next one is in September this year, um, but also on, on UDT. Uh, and the advice is different on both shows. For, for DSEI, it's very much trying to um, align government thinking, so the Ministry of Defence and Department for Trade, um, with Clarion, who enable the whole show on behalf of the UK government, really. It's a UK government show, um, which Clarion put on for them. UDT is clearly a little different for that. It's very specialised, very technical, um, with a, 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 an absolute focus on, on the underwater domain. And it's not so much a government-led event, it's a Clarion-led commercial activity, fundamentally. Um, bringing industry together with with delegations from, I mean, this this week we've got 50 delegations from 25 countries, um, and it's a mixture of, of the event floor with companies showing their products and, and having a lot of business to business conversations, um, and then the conference side of it with a very very full and very rich agenda um, for you know in four theatres for for three whole days yes. really so so there's something for everybody yeah. here yeah. and the advice I give specifically on UDT um, is a little bit on around the, the conference and the themes uh, and then quite a lot of interaction with the sort of senior government level so with the host nation here in Germany leading up to the show um, we absolutely need that support from the host nation to to pull it together uh, and then um, a whole lot of chatting with, with um, colleagues, friends, new colleagues, new friends on the floor as the show goes on, yeah. trying to ensure that everybody's happy, right. knowing that you can't make everybody happy all of the time. <laughs> I'm already feeling anxious just for you on this one. <laughs> no, so, so it's a mixture of advice, really. Uh, and then 
you know, in terms of UDT looking forwards, um, how do we make it a better show in the future? So working with, with the Clarion sort of strategy uh, and senior leadership team, how do we improve it and build upon it year on year? Yeah. Okay. So we'll come back to the conference uh, key themes and, and ideas later because as we were saying before we started recording, there's such a great lineup. But one of the questions I had, actually, you mentioned, you know, you have to work with the host nation. I mean, we're in Germany, and as we all know, Germany is famous for not being communicative about technology and military affairs at all. Yet, was it last year that they signed the Zeitenwende? Yeah. Um, and they started communicating a bit more. So have you seen, have, has that been reflected in your relationship with Germany organizing UDT? Yeah, so our relationship with... Germany of UTT has been built over a number of years. We were meant to come here in 2021 I remember, yes. and it was planned twice in 2021, first in May and then in December just before Christmas and so we had quite good interactions with, with the German Navy in particular um, then and we've managed to build upon those over the, the last couple of years. So I think relations with the German Navy are good but you're absolutely right. You know, there's I think there's a um, maybe a reticence on their behalf, traditionally, um, but I think they recognise that. And my conversations um, this morning with, with their senior folk, I think they recognise that their German military relationship with industry is not nearly as, as strong a two-way relationship as it should be. And there's a big German defence industry, isn't there? Yes, there is. Not that everyone, anyone would know, but no. there is. And I think... So I think they recognise that and they know they need to improve upon where they are at the moment. Yes. But I think they find it sort of institutionally quite difficult to do that, probably. Yeah. Yeah, there's been a lot of talk about the Zeitenwende, but, you know, it's, it's great that there's money injection, but money isn't everything, right? I mean, you need to be able to follow up with policies, with ideas, with relationships. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And all of that takes time. None yes. of it happens overnight. No, exactly, exactly. Okay, so in terms of the conference, again, like as I, as I said, it's such an incredible lineup, and I saw you have six pillars. Six pillars. Yeah, <laughs> you have your notes. <laughs> so, so I and I will because I'll get them wrong if I if I don't. But so so last year in Rotterdam, we designed these six pillars. I think previously it had been about platform design, about um, sensors and so on, and we put a couple of extras in last year. So the the operational advantage and the, the whole big data AI machine learning and it was you know those two are critical I think to to bringing the more traditional you know platform sensors countermeasures um, together autonomy was really big last year and again is is here and for a number of reasons and so I think that the pillars are all definitely linked uh, and so one pillar doesn't stand or fall on its own uh, and it's interesting isn't it when you look in the actual you know the detail of the agenda some of the topics you think why is that within you know platforms it, yeah. it's more this that or the other uh, and so they're all deeply connected and i think it's the the sort of operational side of it and and the the big data ai which clearly links them all together. Yeah. 
Well, speaking of, I'm really glad you, you mentioned this data AI. Um, I've had a few chat with friends uh, who are not in defense. And uh, one thing they told me was like, oh, chat GDP, you know, all of that. And I said, I'm pretty certain chat GDP is not relevant to what we do. Well, so, so I'm not the world's expert on chat GDP, yeah. but I was chatting to my son about it yeah. just last week, who works in London in a, in a bio-med sort of right. role. And he said, yeah, Dad, I use it the whole time. My initial research, I, I just asked the question, yeah. uh, and then it comes up with something which might be right, might be wrong, but it's a good start point. And, and so why would we exclude something like that from defence it, it's I, I guess uh, and as I said I'm not the world's expert but it, it has access to billions of data points and it does it very quickly in, in terms of examining those data points and comes up with an answer um, if you take the equivalent and we were talking this morning in the, the keynote panel um, in the underwater domain, sonar um, um, operators listening to an extraordinary amount of underwater noise, trying to pick out the particular noise, which is a, an adversary's submarine or autonomous system operating underwater. If you can um, design an AI system that can cut out all of that background noise um, so it's not quite chat GDP but it but it's you know the, the same principle isn't it yeah, yeah. Um, that's got to be helpful uh, and if you can do it so that you don't need a human doing it at all yeah. humans are really expensive things in terms of you know through life costs they they need housing they need health care they need this that and the other and an underwater and you know a submarine needs life support systems if it's full of humans if it's full of machines it doesn't need life support systems so so you can see that there's a benefit of taking the human away from that if the if the computer technology can do it as well or better than a human uh, and then you have the really interesting ethics of decision making based on all of that data you know do you trust a machine to do that or do you think a human does that better? So there are all sorts of ethical questions attached to, to this. So, so it's, as a concept, I think is really interesting and should really interest people whether they're involved with defence or absolutely not involved with defence. It, it's, it's much broader than, than, than pure you know, defence technologies. It's yeah. the use of a new technology in a, in a defence environment yeah. And it needs a broad spectrum of of backgrounds and experiences and knowledge to optimise that for the best outcome for humankind. Yeah, absolutely. But it's also something that <clears throat> excuse me, something that cannot happen overnight either. I mean, AI needs to be trained, right? So it needs to work. It needs to be integrated into the systems, and then it needs so, to be trained progressively. So absolutely. So it needs to do that, and, and then equally, the human element of it needs to be trained on its use as well, and its its abilities and its limitations, uh, and you know the boundaries between where we're trusting computer technology and trusting the human mind. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and 
I don't think anybody knows those answers yet. No. I, I think it's something that, that you know, as experience grows, um, we will get better at but understanding. I, I guess like every new technology, uh, and it doesn't matter whether it was a man taking to airborne flight yeah. or you know, humankind going underwater, all new technologies are fraught with dangers yes. and we need to be really careful how we bring them in, how we um, maintain that human control and, and human decision making. Um, and so, yeah, it, it has to happen slowly and we need the best minds in the world to, to help bring it in and, and make it make it a positive rather than a, neg a negative. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I've seen that in a lot of the articles that I'm writing as well. They're, you know, they're putting AI in radars, they're putting AI in sonars, they're putting AI everywhere. And yeah. it's all about, at the moment, very much, as you said, decluttering yeah. and, you know, progressively moving towards aiding decision making, yeah. uh, reducing the cognitive load. I mean, I'm hitting all the keywords here, yeah, right? Are. Really are. Really are. <laughs> yeah, as you said, it's progressive and we're working through all the cogs in the system basically to see how a human and machine can work together. Yeah, and I guess we need to keep a mind on our adversaries who might not be doing it for such you know, positive good reasons. Uh, um, they might be doing it for nefarious reasons yes. and trying to interrupt our use of it as well. So, so it's a whole new format of warfare fundamentally, isn't it? Yeah. It's uh, and so, it's, you know, whilst there are opportunities, there are also big threats. Yes, as always, right? Um, There's always two sides of a coin. Always two sides of a coin. We definitely need the brightest minds in our friendly nations to try and work it out. Yeah. Definitely. And you also mentioned autonomy before, so this is something that we've been seeing in the defense world for quite some time yeah. now, and then yeah. it suddenly got a lot of you know, real estate space in newspapers with what's happening in Ukraine. Is this something that's also influencing UDT technologies? It, it is, and, and so I think it, it's becoming pervasive both a, a, you know, above the land and, and below the water. And there are lots of benefits for autonomous systems. We used to, in the in the flying world, which is my background, we uh, where autonomous systems have been, you know, in in growing use for 20 years, I guess, 25 years now, probably. Uh, we used to talk about the dull, the dirty, and the dangerous. Yes. So the stuff that humans fundamentally are not very good at, yeah, or shouldn't be doing, or shouldn't be doing. So the dull things which are very monotonous, long time, long persistence, and so you know, humans have physiological effects that, that mean they can't do that. So let's let a machine do that. The dirty, clearly where we don't want to put humans in, into um, that high-risk area, um, or sorry, the dangerous, and the dirty is putting them into dirty environments such as you know, nuclear, biological, chemical, yeah. where humans don't do well. So, so there are those benefits to autonomous systems and I think that counts the same for the underwater domain so you know, for quite a few years now we've had autonomous systems to go and blow up mines right. mine warfare yeah. because it was too we used to do it with divers 
uh, and much better, much better not to put that human next to a, a mine yeah. and put an explosive charge next to it and just blow it up safely. Yeah. So, so we've been doing that for 35, 40 years, maybe. Um, I think as autonomous systems develop, and it's really the technologies that support them to, to make them... Um, well, so there's probably a terminology thing here, isn't it? Autonomous or remotely controlled. controlled. Yes. Uh, and once we talk about autonomous, we're probably getting into the AI and, and you know, machine learning sort of world as well. Yes. But, but let's talk remotely crude, so yeah. removing that human from, from the dull, the dirty, the dangerous yeah. area. Um, why wouldn't we want to do that in the underwater world as well as the above water world? Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. And particularly some of the, the really dull stuff, which is just listening and trying to detect stuff. Mm. Um, it doesn't need to be remotely crude. We, we've had you know, remote sensors, again, for years and years and years. Yeah. And so humans are, are not particularly good at that sort of thing. I think we're seeing much more in the underwater world some of the advances in, in um, the proper autonomy now because you know, in the old mine hunting days they were connected to the mothership by a tether yes. uh, and communicating underwater is quite tricky compared to communicating above the water yeah. uh, and so that's probably been the limitation why it's a little bit behind the, the above water autonomy world but I think we're seeing advances in, in those sort of technologies and with a machine able to you know, be pre-programmed to go fundamentally operate around the globe I mean huge range on some of these larger underwater vehicles yes. and able to communicate through satellite comms and be redirected or to send back the data they're receiving um, means that they will only grow in importance and in use, utility, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of we we talk a lot about sensor networking and everything. So yeah. we're relaying the underwater yeah. system, relaying to the surface system, which relays to the mothership. So yeah, it's a lot of that. And then the theme of this conference is all about bringing all of that together, all of that data, all of that information, all of that surveillance, yeah. Yeah. and trying to make a coherent whole out yeah. of it. And the other thing that was um, that, that struck me a little bit uh, was looking at the conference list and also having a very quick look at the show floor. Uh, you know, in one of the six pillars is operational drivers and imperatives. And one thing that we've seen also, again, with Nord Stream, but we, this has already been going on for a while. I mean, right, 90 or 99 percent of our communications are on the water cables. So protection of maritime, critical maritime infrastructure. Are we seeing this? We're seeing this in the conference. Are we seeing that in the floor? Are there more technologies appearing, or are we changing the operational yes. use of the existing? Yes. Yeah, so there's a lot in the conference about yeah. it. Yeah. Um, there's quite a lot on the event floor about it. Yeah. And I think over the last year or two, we've seen quite a lot of government response within our nations, and I know the UK particularly well. Um, compared to other nations, but I think they're all thinking the same, it is that it's an area we have um, slightly forgotten about over the last few years, and an area we need to rapidly correct 
and the UK government has procured already one merchant ship which is repurposed into an ocean surveillance ship and I think they're um, securing another one literally as we speak yeah. and they will have a you know, really vital role. It, it's, I'm sure this year at the conference it will be as big a topic as, as last year but last year it sort of dominated uh, and it, it felt to me that it's in a slightly ungoverned space uh, and I mean it's a pretty dull subject but the law of the sea, the UN convention yeah. UNCLOS, yeah, yeah, yeah. which UNCLOS 3 has only just been fully ratified I think. Yeah. When I joined the Navy in 1984 UNCLOS 3 was being spoken about so it takes that long yes. to, to, to get agreement in, in this international space on the governance of it and that takes um, economic zones, exclusive economic zones, out to 200 miles from yeah. a nation's coast. Yeah. Uh, we're looking transatlantic, transoceanic cables, you know, 200 miles from the coast to 200 miles to the other side of the ocean. Um, that space is completely ungoverned. Yeah. It's quite difficult for a nefarious nation actor to do much about it because it's so deep. So it requires probably a state-controlled capability to do something about it. Yeah. But who is responsible? It's you know the freedom of the seas. No one owns that space. Yeah. No one owns the seabed. Um, long may that continue. Yeah, but we <laughs> need to start talking in international fora mm -hmm. about how we... Is it the company who owns the cable? Is it the government who shoves most stuff down the cable? Is it... Yeah, there are lots of questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think we know the answers. We we know the answers in in you know, territorial waters and, and EZs. Yes. A a whichever the coastal government has responsibility for yeah. for its safety. Yeah. Go beyond that. Beyond that. Yeah, and as you say, ninety nine percent of our data information, banking, finance, world trade, sort of goes not world trade, but a lot of the the finances of world trade goes yeah. through that. Yeah. As we saw with the volcano in Tonga last year. You you cut a cable and somewhere is cut off from the world. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. So they need protecting. Yeah. Yeah, we talked to cable but anything also, you know, gas pipelines, Absolutely. everything, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, And you know, clearly we saw the Nord Stream attack last year only a few miles away from Rostock. Yeah. Uh, difficult to protect, quite easy to attack. Um, Luckily, the impact of that on on the West, I think, has been negligible. Yeah. But it but it you know gives a demonstration of, of what can be done and what can be done quite easily. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's worrying. Yes, but also I think it's no, it's it's not good. But you know what I mean in the sense that it's been big enough that it made it into national media and people are now a bit more aware of what's going on and the importance yes. of these things. Yes, absolutely. And so, in terms of switching a bit more in, from the conferences to the floor, like what have you seen that was quite exciting this year? So I haven't had much time yet this year to wander around the floor, so I'm still looking forward to, to doing that. So yeah. what have I seen? I mean, clearly the, the big um, manufacturers are all here, yeah. uh, and there are a few European submarine contracts coming up over the next few years which they're all fighting to win yes. so they're 
fascinated with that. There's you know, quite a large Dutch government stand, and I think it's the Dutch submarine contract is the next big one, yes. um, the next big decision in, in, in Europe. Yeah. And so you can see people pacing around that. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to get information by journalists. Uh, like absolutely, <laughs> which is always fun to watch. Yes. Um, I mean, for me, uh, the enjoyment of, of a lot of things, some of the smaller companies who all have fascinating products, trying to market them in, in quite a big um, process-driven governmental world, which they struggle to, to break into a little bit, but it's good to see them here. Uh, and yeah, it, it's, it, it's just fun. Yes. Fun. No, absolutely. And it's, it's definitely a show I look forward to as well because it's small enough that people are fairly relaxed and have time to talk to you, especially as a journalist, because there's nothing worse than having a conversation and being shooed away because a delegation comes around. Yeah. Uh, but it's big enough and varied enough that there's plenty to take. Yeah, and it's also deeply technical, isn't it? Very, yeah. Uh, and so it's different to some other conferences and events, I think. Uh, and so, you, you know, literally you have the world's experts in... Different fields who are here, and, and you know, quite a lot of academia, quite a lot of research, yeah. sort of element to it. Uh, and yeah, it's. I mean, there's almost too much on, isn't there, yeah. for for one person to. <laughs> Absolutely, but I think you said it right before. It's also because the underwater domain, and that's what I find so fascinating about it, is there's still so much to explore, right? I mean, in terms of communications, it's very limited. So we're exploring different options in terms of autonomy, as you were saying, in terms of visibility, in terms of everything. Yeah, so humans have done better in outer space exploration than they have in deep ocean exploration. It, it's What's the statistic? I think it's like 10 or 20% only of those, the seabeds, the world yeah. seabed is known. Yeah, yeah. And the, I mean, the oceans are the lifeblood of humankind, fundamentally. 70% or 65% of the planet covered in sea. It's water which makes the whole place habitable. It, it's so important, so important. Um, it, it's obviously a, a domain where warfare has taken place since humankind first designed a boat. Yes. Um, and I, I guess that sort of, it, it highlights the importance of it. And you just have to look through history, and I'm no great historian, but maritime nations have dominated, you know, empires, yes. whether it be the Roman, the Greek, the... the French, Brits, the Dutch, the yeah. so the European empires, uh, and since you know the I don't know 1940 something, the Americans. It, it's maritime nations because it links trade fundamentally, yeah. and, and that's what navies do: is keep trade routes open yeah. or block trade routes. Yes, uh, as we saw with the Ever Given, was it? I keep on wanting to call it Evergreen, but I think it was the Ever Given that got stuck in the in the, in the Suez Canal. In the Suez Canal, yeah, exactly. So, you know, the, the sea, hugely important, hugely badly understood and, and um, a huge opportunity yeah. for, for the future. So, you know, for a sailor, it's really, yeah. really exciting. Yeah, it must be good to be coming, seeing the world slowly coming out of that sea blindness that we've had for so many years. Yeah, but slowly. slowly. But most things at sea happen slowly. 
yes, I suppose. Even <laughs> procurement. Even procurement. <laughs> so the last will be sadly coming to the end of, uh, of our episode today, but the last thing I wanted to mention was that I saw still in the conferences that climate change made it in the yeah. conferences. Yeah. So is this something that we're going to see coming into these shows a bit more? I, I think it has to. I mean, climate change is is one of the biggest threats to to all of us. Yeah. Um, it's happening, uh, and we need to a stop it happening, b react to it happening, yeah. uh, and c cope with it happening. And so I think climate change has to be part of. Of, I mean, it has to be part of our everyday lives, doesn't it? Fundamentally, it has to get into every facet of our lives. Uh, and you know, the the maritime domain is probably not on the front foot of of becoming carbon neutral. I suspect it's probably near the back of the queue there. But you know, navies around the world um, will have an absolute effect in coping with with some of the trauma caused by climate change and environmental disasters around the world you know, because the oceans are so so dominating and so powerful that is where climate change is is you know going to form so hurricanes will be stronger hurricanes will be worse typhoons will be stronger be more of them the impact of that is on coastal regions which are best got to from the sea and so so navies around the world will be coping with the after effects of climate change uh, and we need to ensure you know, rising sea levels, our dockyards, our harbours, our coastal regions can cope with that. We need to ensure that our next generation of people working in the maritime domain want to come and work. You know, you know youngsters today uh, um, do not want to go and work in carbon heavy Correct. sectors. And so we need to be attractive to to the next generation of of our, our people. Yeah. And so for for all sorts of different reasons, climate change is really important. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we navies, operational navies, will be at the front of the carbon neutral side of it. I think that's probably a step too far. For now, anyway. For now. Yeah. Yeah. But merchant fleets. I mean, so in the in the the keynote panel, we had a question about climate change this morning. We had a, a, a comment from a member of the of the audience, rather than the, the panel, on um, commercial shipping yes. and moving quite quickly in the commercial world to yes. to reduce their carbon footprint. Yes. Different fuels. Um, you know, we're seeing a return of, of sailing merchant ships, and as technologies, you know, sail uh, and mass technologies improve, it's very viable. Very viable, and so why wouldn't we want to go there? I'm an electric vehicle driver. I love it. I, I, I'm chief advocate for electric. For electric, uh, it's 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 a revolution which is coming, uh, and the sooner the skeptics get on board, I, I think the better for for everybody. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, climate change will become a seventh pillar. I'm sure. Good. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. Well, John, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. And you, Alex. And uh, thank you again so much for finding the time. Not at all. And I hope you have a really good 
rest of the week here. Yeah, I'm sure I will. I've already sort of seen a lot of things that I want to go and check out more in details. So thanks again, and uh, well, we'll see you at the SEI. Absolutely. Great. Absolutely. <laughs> Bye. Thanks, Alex. Bye.